Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. This is July 4th weekend, and so, man, I tell you what, it, it, uh, I love our nation, and so I, I'm just wrestling with what to preach on because we are technically in a series. So you got to find a way to justify getting off track, you know, and pulling it in. But uh, I want to talk about this morning, I want to talk about praying for our nation. I, wanna, I want us to understand the responsibility that we have. I believe that as believers, we have, we all have a general responsibility. But I would propose to you that as heartlanders, that we have a specific responsibility. That God has called this church specifically to stand in the gap for this nation and the nations of the earth. And there is, a, there is an intercessor's mandate on this church to contend for the purposes of this nation. So I want to I hit face on this thing that says that patriotism is at best a distraction and at worst idolatry. Because there's people that will tell you that. You know, patriotism is simply, if you want to define patriotism, it means a love for your country, an affection uh, for your particular country. And people will say, well, we're supposed to love all people, and that's true. And we're supposed to love all countries, and that's true. God is a global God. He, he has the nations in his heart. And King Jesus will not be satisfied until every tribe and tongue has heard, and there's worship in his, in every, under every tongue of his name. And so God is a global God. He desires that uh, every nation be presented the gospel and every nation be won by him. Scripture's clear. Psalm 24, the nations are his. The world is his. However, God gives us certain things to steward. I'm supposed to love all families, but I got a favorite one. I love all families and I want all children to be fed, but I've got responsibility for certain ones. And scripture says I'm worse than an infidel if I don't fulfill that responsibility. Matter of fact, in, in the gospels, there was a time where Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they, what they'd done, they called it Corbin. They said, what was supposed to go to my parents, I dedicate, I devote to God. Therefore, I'm relieved of that responsibility. And for you to say that distraction, that to contend for the nation that, on which you were a citizen, the place where you live, to say that that is a distraction from devotion to God is a form of what Jesus rebuked him for. What I'm saying is this. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they would say, the, 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 the law said they had responsibility to their parents, but they said, well, I'm going to give that to God. I'm going to devote that to God, and that relieves me of my responsibility to my parents. And the Lord said that is a false teaching, that they still had an obligation to care for their own. Paul said that God has chosen the times and the places in which men should live. Now we've touched on this before, but this is a very, very important principle. That two of the parameters of your calling is the location in which you live and the generation in which you live. Matthew chapter 11, matter of fact, let's turn there. I want you to see this for yourself so you know I'm not making it up. Matthew chapter 11. This is a very interesting thing. I had the Lord speak this to me one day up in the balcony before service. I was praying up there. 
And I had never heard anybody say this, and it just so took me back. And he, then he took me to Matthew 11 and showed me that indeed this is what the word teaches. Look at Matthew 11, verse 20. Jesus, it's speaking of Jesus. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And, for, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now what's fascinating to me is that the Lord is addressing an, the, the population of a city. He's not talking to an individual here. He, there's a corporate rebuke because there's corporate responsibility. In other words, as an occupant of that city, they bore responsibility for which they would give an account. Let me say it again. As an occupant of that city that rejected Jesus, they bore a responsibility for which they would give an account. So their location was part of their stewardship. Do you understand what I'm saying? The fact that they lived there gave them a level of responsibility. There should have been somebody in that city that would have stood up and say, Jesus, I'm staking my claim. I receive you. I bless your ministry. I'm getting to, I believe, and stake the claim for that entire city. God is looking for representatives in cities and nations of the earth so that he can, he can bless those cities and nations of the earth. It's called an intercessor. If you remember, Abraham, when God said he was going to destroy Sodom, but the, the city that Jesus is speaking of here, Abraham stood in the gap and said, what if you find this many believers and this many and this many? He was, he was dealing with the principle, the very real principle, that we are salt and light and God will withhold his hand of judgment for the sake of a small amount of righteous people in a city or a nation. So here we have the location, our city. You have a stewardship of the city or the nation in which you live. You bear a greater responsibility for what happens in the United States of America as someone who lives here than you do for what happens in the Ukraine. Now, some of you may have Ukrainian blood. You may be a Ukrainian citizen. And you, there is a level of responsibility that you retain. But I'm talking about those of us right now who live in this nation and especially as citizens, there's a level of authority and there's a level of responsibility that we have. So when Jesus said God chose the times and places, or when Paul said that, he said God chose, chooses the times and places in which men should live, it wasn't just some kind of arbitrary, kind of an interesting fact. It wasn't like trivia. Hey, isn't this interesting? There was a reason behind his saying that. He was saying that God appointed you to a place and a generation, 
a location and a generation, and you will give an account for both. Now, so we see in this one here, Jesus is saying that he will call to account those people who lived in those cities. Now look at later on in chapter 12. Look at verse 41 of chapter 12. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. So now he's talking about a generation. A people who lived within a season of time, a unique season of time in human history. And God said that the people of the, the generation of Nineveh would rise up and witness against the people who lived in that unique period of time in which Jesus lived. Because they had, there was a unique opportunity that they allowed to pass them by. And I am here to tell you this morning that this is not an anomaly. This is true of every generation. There are purposes to seasons. We talked about it, I don't know, it was probably about seven years ago now. I was, I, I, uh, the Lord spoke to me one day and he said, I want you to do a series on wisdom, but I don't want you to pull out your old material. You know, sometimes the Lord has to tell a preacher that. Because you, you can lean on what you used to know. Bill Johnson has this wonderful phrase, what you know can keep you from what you need to know. That's a sobering thought. Because if you think the little you know is the whole, then you won't be over, open to the rest. And so the Lord dealt with me and I began to ask him about wisdom and he took us on a journey. And one of the things he really began to talk to me about was wisdom and time. That time, from a, from a divine perspective, is not the way you and I think of it. You and I think of time as minutes on a clock and days on a calendar. But to God, time, and you can see this throughout Scripture, from the divine perspective in the economy of heaven, time is a period pregnant with purpose. It's launched by fresh revelation and it's consummated by the fulfillment of the purpose of that revelation. Let me say it again. That when God launches a new time or season, and Daniel, Daniel chapter two is very clear. God sets the times and the seasons. God changes the times and the seasons. And one of the primary ways in which God shifts humanity or a church. There are big, enormous blocks of seasons and times that are global and historical in nature. There's also, that's also true of us as individuals. In your life, there are times and seasons that God has for your life. It's true of churches, times and seasons. We don't have time to get, I'm, I'm getting pulled into something I didn't intend to talk about. So let me just make a couple comments about Daniel chapter two, okay? Because the Lord's been speaking to me about this for three weeks now in prayer. Daniel chapter two, it's very clear. Daniel prays out this prayer and he prays out, 
He's thanking God because God had given him a divine download about what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is. And Nebuchadnezzar had made an edict that all the wise men would be killed because they couldn't, not only could they not interpret his dream, they first couldn't tell him what the dream was that they were supposed to interpret. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't gambling that this, he could be manipulated. He said, you're not only going to tell me what my dream meant, you're going to tell me what my dream was. I'm not going to tell you what it was. And if you can't tell me, I'll kill you. Because you claim to be these diviners, these wise men, these magi, and you're a fraud. And they're like, there's not a man on earth that can do this. And their knees were shaken. And uh, he said, you're just, you're waiting for the time to change. That's what he said. It's an interesting phrase. What he was insinuating is you're waiting for my time on the throne to be up so that you can manipulate the next guy. You th- you're hoping you can outlast me so that you can start manipulating the next guy because you know I won't be manipulated. So Daniel is in his second year of, it's in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign that this happens. And Daniel and the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or make the bed and shake the bed and into bed you go, you tell your kids. But he says, these, these four, they were, they were uh, captured by Nebuchadnezzar, and it says they were inducted into a three-year training as wise men. But chapter two says, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, so at best, they were only sophomores, Okay, they were in the second year of their training and Daniel gets word, he's dead, he's gonna get killed and they come to pick him up and to kill him and he says, wait, 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 why are we in such a rush? Let's not be hasty here. He said, there is a God in heaven and so he says, give me three days, I'm gonna fast and pray and God's gonna give me the dream and then he tells his buddies, no more eating, we're in trouble and they go on this fast and the Lord gives him a download, he gives him a dream of the dream. And then interprets it for him. And as a response to this divine intervention, Daniel goes into this praise and this worship and this prayer. And this is what he says. God, you change the times and the seasons. You promote kings and you remove kings. You give wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those with understanding. Three things he says. God changes the times and seasons. Times are smaller increments than these major transitions called seasons in the Hebrew. I want to say the word was oiden. I don't remember. I'd have to look again. But uh, it's a small, time is a smaller uh, measurement. And then the seasons are major shifts in human history. And let me just pause here and propose to you we be in one. Okay? We are in the shifting of a season in human history. And when we get on the other side of this tumultuous shift, this hinge moment in human history, nothing will look the same. Financial systems will look different. The boundary lines of nations will look different. There's gonna be the rising and falling of kings in this season. Because the second thing Daniel says is he removes kings and he promotes kings. What he's saying is this, that from God's perspective, time is divided, redemptive history is divided among the reign of men. That's why it says of David, David served his generation and he was no more. And he was laid to rest with his fathers. And then it went from being the time of the Davidic reign into the Solomon reign. 
You can see this in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. It's redemptive history divided among the reigns of men. What does that mean? See, it says of David, David discerned that he was king. Think, didn't take a lot of discernment. They poured the oil on your head and then put a crown and you sat on a throne. A lot of discernment. You got to read the rest of the verse. It says, he discerned he was king for the purpose of Israel. In other words, David leaned in and asked God for the reason for his anointing. Let me just let that one land for a moment. You better know the reason for your anointing. Because whether you understand it or not, you will give an account, account for whether you fulfill it or not. And so you better press in and say, God, what was the purpose of my life? Because there's a reason God puts you on planet earth. And you will give an answer for that assignment, whether you... Know what it is or not, it's on you to figure it out. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 5, he said, don't be a fool. Know the will of the Lord. He said, time is short. Know the will of the Lord. He said, you are a fool if you want walk through life not knowing the purpose for your life. You are in danger of wasting what you have and then you'll come before heaven and have to give an account for what you didn't do. God is more willing to show you than you want to know. But know the purpose of your life. So God changes the times and seasons. How does he do it? He moves people in and out. You can see this in churches. There'll be a leader in a church, and when that person's time is over, there is a shift in the calling of that church when there's a new leader. And that's not always the senior leader. There are times and seasons where influential people are in churches and the Lord will move people around and it dawns a new season in a church when new people show up and there's an anointing on them. It'll thrust a church into a new direction, into a new season. If we're hearing the voice of the Lord, we can cooperate with them and fulfill the corporate purpose of that church. So God changes the times and seasons he does it by removing kings and promoting kings, and then he does this. He, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. What he's talking about is Daniel's role in this whole thing. Nebuchadnezzar's role was that God had just appointed him, and so God inserted a prophetic Daniel at the inception of Nebuchadnezzar's rule because God had plans for this pagan king to rise him in power to shape human history. The nature of the, the, the necessity, rather, of the prophetic in times of transition is really important for us to understand. Because God has his plans and the enemy has his. Matter of fact, it says, okay, that's Daniel chapter two. You know what Daniel chapter seven says? It says the enemy attempts to manipulate the times. So in those moments of transition, things are fragile. Things can be taken off track. So God has his times and the enemy has his. And so it's incumbent upon us to step in and in cooperation with the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord and fulfill the purpose of the Lord because what it does is it will stretch the times. In God's economy, time is not a date on a calendar. It's the fulfillment of a purpose. 
That is why an 11-day journey out of the promised land can become 40 years of wandering. They had to fulfill their purpose. That's why it says of Jesus, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God is wanting to bring the last season to fruition so he can launch us into the next season. And one of the ways the enemy manipulates the times is keeping his, God's children from fulfilling their calling. And it can seize the gears and keep, it can prolong the season. And so we need to yield ourselves to the Lord and fulfill our calling. I don't, we don't have time to, oh my goodness. Uh, this is very, very important. There have been people who have been prematurely pushed off their post. And we need to step in and pray that thing through. Because there are the purposes of God in God's economy, the, the time has to come to its fullness in order to launch, launch us into the next season. And that is what Daniel was talking about in that passage. The, true, the, the same is true of your life. There are people who move from season to season. They get saved, and in five years, they're well down the road in their walk with God, going from season to season, going from glory to glory. And then there's others who go to glory. And they stay on the same level of glory till they literally go to glory. Because they never learn to cooperate with God and fulfill the purpose for their life. God wants to take you from glory to glory. He wants to move you through times and seasons in your life. But again, the times and seasons of your life are not dates on a calendar. It's the fulfillment of the purpose of that season. So we've got to discern, Lord, what is the purpose for this? What are the lessons you're trying to teach me? There's a, the old timers used to say, don't take laps around Mount Sinai. Okay? I don't want to spend 40 years walking around Mount Sinai. There's an old song, don't take another lap around Mount Sinai till you learn your lesson. I don't remember the rest of it, but I can hear it in my, it was kind of a, one of those songs, you know. I'm not sure what that was. It just came over me. It was, a little, it, it was kind of a hee-haw song, but it had a good message, okay? Yes, yes. That's why I'm not up here with a mic in my hand during worship. God told me I'm on the worship team. He just wants me down there when it happens, okay? But this thing, this is a crucial thing. And two of the parameters of your purpose, two of the parameters of your calling are the generation and the location in which you live. God has purposes for every generation. There are things. God is moving his story along. History is his story. And he's moving things along. And you have a part to play. Don't, Paul said, let no man steal thy crown. Don't have God, don't make God assign someone else to your assignment. What are you called to do? Fulfill that calling. The, the enemy loves to get us to either neglect our calling out of a sense of unworthiness or dis, get us distracted so we don't do it. Sometimes the way we're distracted is we get our eyes on somebody else's calling and we think, if I don't do what they're doing, I'm, not, that's, I'm really not doing something. If you are called to be a garbage man, 
And that's a good living, okay? That, I'm not, I don't mean that as a denigration of a, a form of employment. If you're called to be a garbage man and you become a pastor, you will give an answer for disobedience to God. Because you need to fulfill the purpose of your calling. Because there's people you would face on your garbage route you're never going to face in the pulpit. And God put it on you. So this is a very important phrase, or idea. So it's our generation and our location. And God has purposes for every generation, purposes for every time and season in our life as individuals, in our corporate life as a church, in the life of your family. There are seasons, and if we are quick about it, we can learn those lessons and move on. Or we can stretch them out. It's up to us. So, part of the assignment on your life is the fact that you live where you do. And part of that is that you live in the United States of America. And you live here now. During this tremendously tumultuous time. You need to ask yourself, God, what were you thinking? Not in the way I just said it. But <laughs> Believe me, I've asked it both ways. But ask it, God, what, what's on your heart? Why am I here during this hour of human history? God saw fit. He perfectly formed you and equipped you for this challenging season in human history. And I'm telling you, that God placed you here in this nation to contend for his purposes. I love this nation. I love a lot of things about it. I love that we are afforded the, mo the greatest prosperity and the greatest freedom of any nation in all of human history. And you know what? I pray that in the future there's other nations pass us up. I don't want to go back, but I, 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 don't, I don't have a problem with them passing us up and the, the, that they disciple us. I don't love this nation because I think we're more worthy, because I don't. I don't think that we're any more special to God's heart, but I think the purposes of God for this nation are that crucial. And we need to contend for that. We are the guardians, the steward of his purposes for this nation. Those of you in this room, there, there are a number of you who are immigrants that have come to this nation. Realize that God sent you here for a reason. That is an amazing thing. Most of us can discount it. Well, I was just born here. It was, you know, it was a, I was a twinkle in my mom's eye one night, and you know, here I am. Now, that'll take a minute. But uh, so, you know, here we are. Some of you, God moved you across the world to come here. Yes, Hallelujah. And you know what? That needs you need to feel that 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 is that's a holy calling, a holy entrustment. God puts you in this nation such, for such a time as this. We have a responsibility. Turn with me to Exodus 32. I've been in this passage since 4 a.m. this morning. I just love this passage. Because it's the story of a man who saves a nation 
through prayer. God willing, in the days to come, we're going to go into a series on how we got where we're at. I'm talking about the mess we're in. How many of you hear people on TV or read things that people say and you're wondering, what in the world are these people thinking? Where are they? they have they lost their minds? There is a logic by which they are navigating life that you and I need to understand. If we're to engage these people, we need to understand where they're coming from. And it doesn't do us any good to just sit back and laugh and say they're losing their mind or get mad and yell at the TV, throw your slipper. You know, I've often said, my poor family, I don't watch TV, I talk to TV. Uh, that's why I just kind of stay away from the news. I, I do my news by reading because I can't handle the TV. I'm just, I know my weaknesses, okay? But we need to understand, and God willing, in the, and soon in the coming days, we'll go through a series on this. We are this close to losing this nation. We would have never thought that there are people in our halls of Congress literally voting along the lines of those we were defending ourselves from for decades in the Cold War. There is a demonic seduction going on in our nation and we need to understand the philosophical underpinnings to that thing. But it's gonna take more than us understanding. It's gonna take much more than us just being able to engage people and talk. We need heaven to sweep in. We need God to withhold his hand of judgment. Because our biggest danger is not Russia or North Korea or China or any other nation. Our biggest concern needs to be heaven. How are we with heaven? And this is a story of a nation that was on the, the eve of its own destruction and didn't even realize it. But there was one godly man who was in the pocket of intercession. One man saved a nation. I want you to think about that. One man who found favor with God leveraged that favor to save a nation. It's an amazing thing. Look at Exodus 32. Verse one, when, when people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said, up, <laughs> wow, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him because Moses had been on the mountain for like 40 days by this time. And so they just went to Aaron and said, hey, we, you know, the, he walked up into that smoldering cloud with peals of thunder and lightning and, and uh, man, he's not come back. We think he's gone. We're not sure. They acted like they didn't even know this guy anymore. So they said, make us new God. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears and the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it in carving tool and made a golden calf and then said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up 
out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast for the Lord. And they rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They got into pagan revelry, is the old way of saying it. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's exactly what the Lord said to him. Moses, your people, who you brought out. God is kind of washing his hands of them. Later on, the next chapter, God, Moses say, God, your people, who you brought out. That's an interesting dynamic. I would propose to you that was very, very important in this interchange between Moses and God. Because what God was doing is God was provoking that investment that Moses had already made. Listen to what he goes on to say. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore... Let me alone, that my wrath may, not, may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation out of you. Wow. I, that, that, that passage just makes me shudder. Behind what God was saying, there was something he was trying to provoke out of the heart of Moses. He said, those people, your people, you brought them out. And they have, they have made me angry. And my wrath is going to burn hot against them. Leave me alone so that my wrath may burn. And then I will make a nation out of you. You see, Moses had found favor with God. This was a man who had great favor. He, he touched things in God that are just mind-blowing to me. He would, God would speak to him as a man speaks to a friend face to face. So much so that Moses would come down and his flesh, his skin, absorbed glory and he would come down like a glowworm. And then Moses, he would speak to them and it says then he would put a veil over his face so that they would not see that it was fading. See, a lot of people believe that Moses wore a veil because the people couldn't handle it. That's not what it was. That glow was his credibility. Tell you what, if I showed up on Sunday morning and I said, hey, I've got a real hard message for you and I showed you my face and, that, you know, you'd be a little more inclined to listen to Pastor Dave that morning. <laughs> he would cover it up so they wouldn't see that it was fading because he wanted to minister from the glory. So he would go get some glory, talk to the people, cover his face back up, and go get some more before it faded. That's good preaching. That's good policy. We need preachers who stay in the glory. Amen? Speak from the glory. Pray for your preachers. Amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. But God told him, he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You see, the Lord was testing Moses' heart. Moses, will you tolerate the destruction of the people whose genetic code you share? Will you tolerate the destruction of the nation that you've invested so dearly in? 
and I'm going to entice you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'll make a nation out of you, Moses. Now, some people say that God was speaking anthropomorphically. That's just a big way of saying he was trying to relate with Moses, so he didn't really mean it. He was just trying to engage with Moses. God is not capable of insincerity. There is no shadow of turning it in him. If he said it, he meant it. He would, have, he would have made another nation out of Moses. But you know what it would have done? It would have pushed the purposes of God back decades, if not generations. Because he would have had to produce an entire nation out of Moses. But there was something in Moses that was owning this thing. God said, they're your people. And Moses said, yes, they are. And he stepped in and he owned this thing. You see, intercession can only happen when we own this thing. Yes. It's not some disconnected way. I, I can't just say, well, God, I hope you move in my, on my nation because I know I'm going to be okay. And you know what? I know I am. God's going to take care of me and my family. God's going to take, the worst case scenario, I just go to heaven sooner. I can't lose. But there's a lot of people who can if I don't carry my heart right before the Lord. And that Moses said, Lord, you can't let this happen. Lord, he begins to appeal to the Lord on, there's several points in Moses' prayer that are very important for you and I to understand. You see, Moses owned this thing. He's saying, yes, Lord, they are my people, but they're yours as well. And they kept, <laughs> as long as God had a man on earth that said, yes, they're my people, and God in heaven said, yes, they're my people, this thing's gonna work. But as soon as God loses a, an intercessor on earth, when there's no one that will say, no, they're my people, then God's gotta scrap his plan and start all over again. And he would have done it. John Wesley was famous for saying God does everything through prayer and nothing without it. Not because God's not sovereign, but because he has chosen to exercise his sovereignty through his delegated authority called man. God delegates his authority to us and we will give an account whether we fulfilled his purposes or not. And so again, you and I need to understand that God chose that you and I would live in this generation, in this location. I believe there's something highly significant about Iowa. I'm just crazy enough to think that the fact that we choose the president, presidential candidates first is prophetic. There's something about us that we have a say in the removing and the, the, the removing of leaders and the exalting of leaders. There's something about our role in intercession that God wants to use. There's a weight of responsibility we need to carry. And when God says, this is your nation, this is your state, this is your situation, there needs to be something that rises up within us, within us and says, yes, Lord, I agree. I'm gonna own this thing. I'm gonna pray this thing through. When God said, leave me alone that my anger may burn, he was deadly serious. But Moses read in there an invitation because he understood what God was saying is that if I'm not left alone, then I will withhold my wrath. And Moses inserted himself in there and he cried out for the children of Israel. 
Listen to Moses' prayer. This is very significant. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power in your mighty hand? Isn't that interesting? God said, I'm going to kill the people. They're your people, and you brought them out. And God said, and Moses said, but God, why are, you, why are you so angry with these people, your people that you brought out? And they're kind of ex, ex, you know, giving each other ownership. They're reminding each other. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out and kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. So the first thing Moses does is he appeals on the basis of God's character and reputation among the nations of the earth. He's concerned with God's reputation and he cries that out, not, not for the sake of the people, because the people did not deserve it. But he was saying, God, for your namesake, among the nations of the earth, Lord, turn from your wrath. And then he says this, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the sky. He was reminding God of his covenant with Abraham. There's something about reminding God of his past promises in prayer. I'm telling you, it'll move God's heart. I always think of this illustration. It's not the greatest one, but it's, it's like when I, I pull out Kathy and I's uh, wedding pictures. Kathy could still fit in the wedding dress, me not so much. I never wore a wedding dress, by the way. But... Uh, <laughs> I couldn't fit in the tux either. I'm like 50 pounds heavier. And uh, I, had, I had color in my beard and I had two big windshields called glasses. They were huge glasses back then. And there we are standing there. And I remember the day that I entered into covenant with this woman. And it stirs my affections once again. The day that I made my vows it's good for us to remind ourselves. There's a reason that the Bible speaks of the wife of your youth. Reminding yourself of when you entered into that covenant relationship. And a very similar thing is going on here with Moses. He's saying, God, remember Abraham. Remember this man who found favor with you. Lord, for the sake of Abraham. And then remember Isaac, Lord, that he, he also secured favor for you, with you. And Jacob, who secured favor with you. And you made promises to them. And he would use that in prayer to move the heart of God. And God loved it. It's what Solomon was doing in Psalm 132, where he says, Oh, Lord, remember David and the sufferings he endured. I'm going to remind you what my dad went through. If you look later on in the passage, it says, Oh Lord, now remember, David, make good on your promises. You said you'd always have one of his sons on the throne. This is Solomon speaking. You see what he's doing? He's leveraging his dad's favor on his own behalf. He's saying, Lord, protect me, if not for me, for the sake of my dad. Moses is leveraging his favor and the favor of other patriarchs to move the heart of God to preserve an entire nation. Lou Engel, years ago, he, he wrote a book, um, Redigging the Wells of Revival. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. 
And in that book, he was talking about how one time the Lord began to speak to him about how he's going to revisit America because of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, the, who was a colonial revivalist, a brilliant philosopher, and a very godly revivalist, and he was the primary leader of the first great awakening. And God began to speak to Lou, I will revisit America for the sake of Jonathan Edwards. And so as he was just processing this, he writes about that, that, that those principles in that book, and he, he writes about this episode. He said, so he was invited to speak at a youth co conference that night. So he went, and the title of his message was going to be, God is going to save America because we're the great, 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 great grandkids of Jonathan Edwards. That was his title. It's hard to fit on a cassette tape. So he's sitting on the front row, cassette tape for you younger, that was a little plastic thing that you listen to sermons and music on, okay? I'll get, you can Google it. So he's sitting on the front row just worshiping and getting ready, just meditating, saying, Lord, you know, just use me tonight, I want to speak to these young people. At which time a young man sat down next to him and bumped him and said, Lou, I got to share something with you. He said, I just found out something today. I am the great, 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 great grandchild of Jonathan Edwards. And it was God's little prophetic kiss on Lou's message. I'm telling you, God will honor the covenants of our forefathers. It still moves the heart of God. There are men and women who gave their life in intercession and fasting and sacrifice for the gospel to be established. America, the United States of America, is a rare experiment in human history. It is one nation that was established on biblical principles. Do you know that in the founding of our nation, early on in our nation's history, congressmen would stand up in Congress and argue the scriptures? When they were legislating, one would stand up, wait a minute, wait a minute, you forgot about Exodus 42. Well, there's no 42. Uh, hopefully they didn't say that. Exodus 32. <laughs> they'd turn to that and they'd, they'd argue the Yeah, but what about Deuteronomy 7? That was a safe one. Got to go low numbers. Don't go high numbers when you're speaking publicly. Uh, so they're arguing the scriptures. They based our whole thing of the three, uh, you know, the, the judicial branch, the executive branch, the legislative branch, that was based on the Trinity. And that there was a tension of power between the three branches of government based on the fallenness of man. Because they understood that Power corrupts in absolute, power corrupts absolutely. So let's create a tension within the government. It's a unique thing in all the earth. And we are a nation of immigrants. It's a melting pot. It's an amazing thing. And there have been people who have given their life so that God would bless America. But perhaps what we need to be asking is not God bless America, but God, make us a people who are blessable. Lord, make us a people that you can bless. For God is a being of integrity and he will not violate his own principles and answer prayers that are contrary to his own nature. He has to find righteousness. There has to be a remnant of people that are crying out. And God is looking for intercessors 
who are living righteously and have found favor with God and then will get in the secret place and they'll say, God, I'm not gonna leave you alone until you give me a promise. I remind you of my forefathers. I remind you of Jonathan Edwards and his prayers. I remind you of Charles Finney and Father Nash and the Second Great Awakening and the, the, thou, the tens of thousands, uh, really hundreds of thousands of souls that were swept into the kingdom in the Second Great Awakening. Lord, I remind you of these other intercessors down through our history. Lord, remember their prayers. They still come before the throne. Lord, I add my prayers to theirs. You have a responsibility for this tumultuous moment in human history. And you have a responsibility. It is not idolatry and it's not a distraction to pray for this nation. In fact, it's your responsibility for which you will give an account. And don't let anybody tell you any differently. We will give an answer for this moment in human history in this nation. And there is a strategy afoot by the enemy to erase our history and to cause us to come on the side of the accuser and curse this nation. Do you know that there's, there was a large group in the Democrat party that just put out this ad over the holiday weekend, F the fourth. That is a demonic thing. Now, that, that's not true of every Democrat. I know, I know that many, there's many Democrats that love the Lord. But I'm telling you, there is a sweeping spirit that is trying to undermine this nation. There is a hatred for the history of this nation. They're rewriting history. A nation without history is like a person with amnesia. They don't know who they are. And God is calling us to step in and cry out for this nation. I'll never forget in 2008, I was up in Toronto, Canada. And John Arnott, we were up there at the celebration up at uh, the Toronto Airport Fellowship. And John Wimber got up because it was, the stock market was crashing and things were very tenuous and John got up and he said, and th th this, these are people from all over the world. This is, you know, this wasn't an American service. This was, there were a lot of, uh, uh, you know, United States citizens there, but people from all over the world. And he said, we need to pray for the U.S. right now. And he made this statement and I was stunned. I, it just really hit me. He said, I don't know about you. He said, but I wouldn't want to live in a world in which the United States didn't exist. This is a man from another country saying this about us. Because he recognized the preservative of peace that the United States has been. Now we don't ignore those, we don't ignore the sins and there are things that we have found out about our nation in the last number of years that'll make your hair stand up. The more I know, the more, I, I had a conversation with some of my dear Colombian friends the last time I was in Colombia. We need to pray for Colombia. They just voted in a former FARC guerrilla as the president. FARC is a communist terrorist organization. We're, we're living in a very tumultuous time in human history. I'm telling you, there is a battle at the gates 
for this door to swing. And if we don't pray this thing through, it'll set the time. God, God will have his will eventually. But the timeline can be stretched depending on our obedience and our engagement or it can be compressed. And I was telling them, I said, because they were talking about the corruption in their nation and I said, I said, you know, there's been a lot of naivety in the United States, definitely me included, where I, I didn't realize how the, the level of corruption in the higher echelons of our government, it's been sobering to me. But I refuse to join the accuser of the brethren and curse this nation because God has a purpose for this nation. I won't ignore the sins, I'll get under the load because I'm an intercessor. I will confess like Daniel, my sins and the sins of my people. I'll bear them before the throne. But I also refuse to curse this nation. We're gonna cry out for it and ask God to stay his hand. If we refuse to let God alone, what seemed like a command to the outsider, to those on the inside, the one who was intimate with God, Moses, what so would have sounded like a command to everybody else, leave me alone that my anger may burn. Moses, because of his intimacy, understood it as an invitation. God left a crack in the door. He just told me he can only let his wrath burn if I leave him alone. And Moses dug his heels in and saved a nation. There is hope for the United States of America. But we can't, we can't involve ourselves in charismatic bravado by just claiming, hey, it's, all, it's already done. Early on in our intercession that we do every Tuesday through Friday here, early on, a couple years ago, one of the first things the Lord spoke to me during that season was, it was a very obscure verse and a very sobering verse when he said it to me. He said, one who puts on his armor should not boast as one who takes it off. And it shook me because I knew what he was saying. It was a, a king of Israel rebuked a pagan king when he said he's going to invade. And the Lord was saying, don't act like this thing is in the bag at the outset. There's still a battle to be fought and won. We're in the middle of a battle for the, the legacy and the purpose, the legacy of this nation and the purposes of God for this nation. David perceived he was made king for Israel. And you need to perceive that you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. God's hand is upon you so that we will contend for this nation and this generation. Amen? Let's stand. I want us to close in prayer for this nation. If you would, lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the tremendous prosperity that we have enjoyed as U.S. citizens. Lord, we thank you for the tremendous freedom, the unprecedented freedom that we've enjoyed. But Lord, we also understand that the sins of this nation have been grievous. Lord, that we have discipled the nations in pornography and other perversion. And it's only ramping up in this hour. Lord, we understand that our 
our federal money, our tax money have been used to export abortion across the earth. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness, God, as your people. Lord, as representatives of this nation. Lord, we don't pick up stones to cast at them. We say, we are sorry, Lord. God, we ask for mercy on this nation. And Lord, I ask that you would establish a beachhead of intercession in this house, around these altars, in this sanctuary, in the prayer meetings in the mornings. Lord, God, findeth us a friend like you found in Moses. Lord, we ask, preserve this nation. God, we ask it for your name's sake. We are zealous for the purposes that you've placed within this nation to be realized. Lord, your dream, the dream that you called the United States of America, Lord, let it be realized in this hour. God, visit this nation. Send revival. Send revival, Lord. Send revival. Send revival. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.